The Perth Glory Women present the late show. Coming to a football ground near you, get your tickets for the box office, Jets, and a huge $130 million cash injection into the A-Leagues. All that and more coming up. This is the Weekly Wrap presented by the Far Post Perth Podcast. Round four of the A-League, round two of the Women's A-League. Plenty to get through. It's another edition of the Weekly Wrap presented by the Far Post Perth podcast in partnership with Sportsmate and the A-League live app. Make sure you download that one. It is a beauty available at the Apple or Google Play stores. Blaine Treadgold with you. It's Tuesday afternoon. It's time to get into the Weekly Wrap. Next to me, the man who's been joining me most weeks and great to have him back on board, Mr. Tommy Dolman, afternoon, mate. Hey, mate. Plenty to chop through as always. Let's rock and roll. Absolutely. Hey, a little bit of news, um, which is hopefully going to be pretty exciting, mate, just on a little bit of a uh, a very uh, close front. Um, website, thefarpostperth.com.au should have dropped by the time most people listen to this, so it's exciting. We will just say... When you get a website up, you know, you're always finding little nuances. So be patient. There's plenty to come through. And if you want to get involved in that, we have got uh, guest writers that can jump on board. If you want to have a bit of a say, a bit of an opinion, whatever it might be, uh, contact at thefarpostperth.com.au is the way to go about that. Mate, another big week. Let's go all the way back because we had a tricky midweek fixture last week. It was Melbourne City who ended up getting the chocolates over Perth Glory. We were unsure heading into this one, weren't we, whether we could back it up. There was a 72-hour or thereabouts turnarounds coming off that big win against Victory. Unfortunately, just couldn't quite get over the line for Perth. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, we weren't sure. The backup was always going to be the elephant in the room, I Mm. suppose. That was always going to be the hard thing to deal with. And I think if we're being fair, the glory probably didn't deserve to win the game. But to concede so late after holding out for so long... It did make you sort of feel for the boys a little bit. And one of the positives we've spoken about on previous podcasts has been the defense. And I know that Melbourne City dominated a lot of the ball, but I think Glory stuck pretty true to their guns and they defended pretty well for the majority of the game, bar maybe an offside goal. I think it was a goal that City scored, which was just offside, which maybe the Glory were lucky to avoid, Mm. which would have maybe changed the complexion of the game a little bit earlier on. But... At the end of the day, um, it did hurt, I suppose, to concede the goal so late. You can't question the work rate, the effort, the application. It was just that one lapse where the runner didn't track Atkinson. And I think the organisation and the defences gives me enough confidence going forward. And at the end of the day, we're still on a road trip and we still picked up um, a win from the three Melbourne games. So it's better than nothing, um, but there's still a little bit of work to do, of course, and there's still room for players to come back. On that goal, um, it looked to me, and I've tried to have a bit of a, a closer look at this, it, it looks like Otz has gone to step off. Everyone else has gone, leaving his runner untracked in uh, Nathaniel Atkinson after that ball across. Who was... I can't think who got that. I think it was Metcalf that Metcalf, put the ball over. correct. Um, and, and that's where that's come in. Now, we've spoken on Otter, particularly as that last-ditch defender. I'm still... I, I, I don't know. I'm, my, I'm still not sure about Otter being that last man and Clisby up the park. I can't remember completely what the circumstance of the game was, but I think that's one of the perils of playing three at the back. Sometimes, at times, the wide player is is going to get in between the wing back and the central defender. And especially if you've got a fullback coming forward, as, as Atkinson was, or he, he's obviously 
played fullback, but he's a, a wide player mm. in general. And if you do get an overload and you can't quite track those runners, then that, that sometimes does lead to the goal. So, Well, it can go one or two ways because you've only got to communicate with three, two, other, two other people as a central defender. When you've got four, you've got to actually communicate with... Obviously, three other people who's generally going to be that that last line, That's unless true. you get one of the midfielders drop, of course. It's true, but Metcalf's ball also bypassed the three defenders. That, That's so it correct. completely takes them out of the play, which is yep. why you need the runners tracking back. Yep, correct. Have you changed your mind on Clisby and Otter in this situation? Um, I think it's still very much wait and see. I think if you're looking at the bigger picture, I think the defensive organisation has been okay enough for mm. me so far, I've praised it a lot. I can't really go back on my word on the podcast just because of one sort of positional switch. Um, whether it's worth experimenting and switching around, as as you seem to mm. want, Blaine, then perhaps that's the case. But um, I think the, the main body of the work that I've seen means I think it's maybe worth persisting a little bit longer with. Well, we'll see how it all goes. Um, let's talk about City just for a second because they were dominant, as you suggest. Um, it could have been three or four. It could have got nasty. Uh, yeah, if that, if that goal that we alluded to earlier mm. on that they maybe got a little bit lucky with, I don't know if it was offside, um, but it was a close offside. If that little bit of luck goes their way, maybe it changes the dynamic of the game early. Um, and, and especially with the Glory team who had come off the short turnaround as well, maybe losing a little bit of energy, maybe a little bit of a loss of confidence, that sort of head's gone down sort of vibe. But as I touched on before, we've not really seen that from the Glory. We've not seen a period of any game this season where the heads have gone down and you've not been able to question the effort, the application whatsoever. So they did really well to stick in the game. Uh, the chances that they created were really minimal. They only had 31% of the ball. I think they were quite happy to allow um, City to have the possession because it wasn't causing them a lot of damage for large stretches of the game. Uh, but the glory didn't quite test City enough on the night and hence the result was obviously fair. It's... Oh. Interesting that Garcia that you say that, but Garcia said a, a little bit differently. Like that's the way that I saw it as well. Exactly what you just described. However, Garcia said no, it wasn't the, what they did. However, they did struggle to keep hold of that ball, which made it look like they were giving more possession to to Melbourne uh, to Melbourne City. Um, that was an area of concern for me, was winning that ball but not being able to retain that ball and then switch into transition and start pushing up the park and then putting Melbourne City under the pump that little bit. We didn't have any of that, I found. Um, another a big thing is... Actually, let, let's continue on this uh, bit of a City kind of um, a, a theme there for a second. Matthew Leckie, Where's he at at the moment in your mind following that match? Because I've got real concerns about where he fits in. Not from a, not that I really give a shit about where he sits in with Melbourne City, but as a primary strike striker for the Socceroos, he just he's not there at the moment. He's not up to speed. Clearly, um, that's that's a byproduct of probably not playing a lot of football. Mm. Uh, it's a byproduct of maybe not having a long, sort of strong preseason with Melbourne City either. Um, and we know full well what that what happens when that... Uh, sorry, in our own backyard mm. with a certain Daniel Sturridge. You know, if you're not match sharp and match fit, then you're going to look a little bit... Um, not out of place, that's probably the wrong way to put it, but you're going to take a little bit longer to get up to speed. So 
Um, look, obviously, it is a worry for the national team. As you as you say, mm. he is one of the key outlets in Graham Arnold's system, I think. I think that's quite evident with the style of football that, that Arnie sort of wants to play. Um, he's going to take a little bit of time to get going, but Melbourne City have got enough weapons in that forward line. For me, it was his body language, though, Tommy, that I wasn't too impressed with. He was there was he was taking some shots that would be considered very lackadaisical, if we can put it like that. He was leaning back, just putting a, a bit of a boot in, hoping for the best. There wasn't any real intent there, I don't think. I might be totally wrong and totally misreading this, but I'm not the only one who has. This got picked up on Twitter as well by a few people, so. Might be worth just go having a bit of a look, particularly late on. It was literally minutes before he ended up getting subs uh, late on in that in that contest. So have a bit of a look at Lecking when we when we chat next time. Just tell me what you think if if he's just just losing a little bit of that uh, that three pronged attack. Is it working? Uh for City, yeah. Uh well, on the evidence of their to one of their pieces in Lecky not being up to speed one hundred percent, then evidently not. Mm. Um, we've seen little flashes from Naboo, that outside of the foot goal. Jamie McLaren's also not no, quite he's been not himself lately either, and, and I can't put a finger on what that is because this it, it's a tough one. I don't know whether he's still trying to figure that out with his teammates or, or what it is, but I think the key thing is, and, and we've said it before, this is nothing new, but that front three is designed to counterattack. The pace of Naboo, the pace of Leckie, and McLaren's a player who likes to play on the last man and, and run and make runs in behind. And City are trying to implement a City football group possession, yep. possession brand of football, and they've got three, essentially, players who like to make runs and play almost in a counterattacking way. And they're not passers. These guys, I mean, probably to a lesser extent in a boot, but, I mean, out-and-out out finishes is McLaren and, and, and Leckie. So you wonder how, if they're not, if it's not all going their way, whether they're just going to sit there and take pot shots like they did against Perth, yeah, or whether they're going to start and having that little bit of that plan B and saying, hey, maybe I need to start bringing Macker back into the game. Maybe I need to start bringing Lex into the game or whatever else. Instead, they're just having pot shots. goes back to what I was saying about Leckie a little bit. It was just nonsensical shots that was really, really low percentage plays. Yeah, and there's probably a little bit of an element of frustration with that as well. Um, I mean, it's a big game this week, isn't it, for them? Melbourne Derby. Yep. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. You've got... Uh, we'll, we'll come on to victory later as well, but they've, they seemingly bounced back after their defeat last week. Um, I, I think it's going to be a little period for City where they are trying to work things out and to try and be fluid. But at the end of the day, they are second in the competition, I believe. So, or third in the competition. Yep. Sorry, fourth. I'm, I'm looking at the points the wrong <laughs> way around. There, um, there's a joint second in uh, in the victory and in Western United and City and fourth and seven points. So it's a bit early to throw the baby out with the bathwater, uh, but there are definitely some teething problems with some of their players who are still coming back to full fitness. But the pieces are there, the talent's there, and we expect it to come good eventually, that's for sure. We saw some changes that Richie Garcia brought in as well, uh, particularly Anthony Burke Gilroy. He wasn't playing out wide. He went to a central defensive mid position. For me, it didn't work. Yeah, we was, lost a lot of his attacking run down that right-hand side. Yeah, it was a curious one. I can see the thinking behind it because the energy that he's provided in the first three games was something where I think Garcia looked at that energy and thought, if we can get that into the central areas and we can sort of try and almost harangue 
the Melbourne City midfield three a little bit, try and put a bit more pressure on them a little bit and try and just sort of drive at them a little more. Burke, you're always a good ball carrier as well, so you want players to be sort of running at the heart of that midfield three. But but like you say, it, it just didn't quite work. Um, I don't think it was a completely fruitless idea. I could see the reasoning why um, Garcia did that. But in hindsight, which is obviously a wonderful thing, he's been playing so well on the right and he would probably have been better off served out there. Mm. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure about it at all. I think that he needs to go straight back out to that that's right wing back position where he started off because I think that's where he's playing his best mm. football. Um, Brisbane away Saturday afternoon, if you're listening to this, it is Tuesday. What are we expecting from Brisbane up there? Um, well... My notes on Brisbane from what we've seen in the in the early part of the season is it's they've struggled to score goals. That that seems to be the issue for the raw in the, in the, in the first three games. It's the third game in a row now where they've they've drawn a blank. Um, they got a consolation against Melbourne City as uh, Melbourne City on the opening weekend, and that's the only goal they've scored this season. I think the worrying thing that I saw from the highlights of the Brisbane game at the weekend was they just. It was almost as if their heads dropped a little bit once Western United got that goal, and they didn't quite show the fight that you'd probably expect to see from them. Um, but by the same token, um, I think Warren—I don't think Warren Moon's job is under threat at all. I think he's—he's he's got a young squad up there. I think there's um, going to be a period where they—he he is going to be allowed to sort of get that team up and running properly. Um, but it's just going to be interesting to see whether they can bounce back sooner rather than later. Hopefully, from a glory point of view, it's not this weekend. Who are the big threats, do you think, and what, is, what does glory need to start really watching out for as far as Brisbane's attacking options go? Well, I think the most creative player is probably O'Shea. Mm. So I think stopping him at the source is probably going to be important. And also, they've got to keep a close eye on Ivanovic as well, who, yeah. who seems to be... Um, he's the, a couple of games from just having a big one. I think that's what you feel. He's just just he's, he's getting away. into the position. Yep. He's just yep. not taking his chances. But eventually, he will take a couple of those. So they'll have to keep a close watch on him. I don't know what's happened to Milosevic. Uh, I, I don't know what's happened to him himself. at all. Yep. He's um, he's not quite hit the ground running yet either. But he's a player that also, if he can sort of recapture a little bit of that Adelaide stuff, he might be dangerous also. But he's not really cut the mustard this. They're season. a team of grafters this year, aren't they, Brisbane? Do you get? I get. I just get that feeling. I, I find that they're just going to be a lot of hard work, a lot of running, rather than real creative flair. It, it seems that way on the face of it, albeit in a very small sample size. Um, yeah, it, it's a hard one to really... I, I think the other thing with Brisbane as well is I, they've had three games against the Melbourne teams, a little bit like the glory, and I don't think the fly-in, fly-out way of doing things has sort of helped them either. Mm. They've been flying in the morning of games, I believe, and then flying out that And I don't think that really helps with settling in, obviously. I know flying in in the morning of the game. I know that it's COVID times. Mm. I know it's a difficult situation, but I don't think that's really helped either. Um, So there might be a little bit to take from that. And on the evidence of the table, I mean, you look at Victory Victory City and Western United, and they are currently second, third, and fourth in the standings. So um, they have had a tough fixture run on the face of the table positions after only four games, it must be said. So 
let's maybe wait and see who they've got in the weeks ahead and, and, and whether they can turn it around. Huge opportunity for Perth. Likely to have a little bit of uh, firepower come back into this side. We're likely to see Daniel Sturridge get some minutes. We saw Callum Timmons get some minutes last week, so he's starting to get up to speed. Sardinero, as he's got more and more minutes under his belt, has started to become a little bit more impressive and having more of an influence on games as well. Brandon O'Neill's going to be an interesting one because all the, all the, albeit uh, he's been fully fit, he hasn't had a game in three, four weeks now. So, mm. yeah, and we obviously we don't know whether Brandon's been keeping himself in a condition that's suitable enough to. Be I able imagine to he play. would. Have. Yeah, he's he's obviously yeah. a, a real pro. Um, but obviously, nothing replaces playing ninety minutes on the pitch either. By the same token, so that that'll be an interesting thing on the basis of what we were talking about before with Burt Gilroy playing in midfield. He's probably needed in there to sit alongside next to Bodner, and then you've got Steins in front of him, obviously, and that's that's quite a nice little mid midfield trio. Then if you wanted to to run with that four three three or that sort of uh, almost that three five two system, whatever, with three in midfield. Um, it's an interesting stretch. Brisbane, Adelaide and Sydney, the next three games for Perth. Um, all three games which are winnable, um, particularly with Sydney in the mm. current form that they're yep. in at the moment. Um, I think if Glory can bag five, six or seven points, that'd be so a win and two draws or, or two wins and a draw or two wins and a loss. If they can bag that one of those three returns, I think that's a pretty good result and that will just keep them in the touching distance that we've been speaking about throughout... Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's got to start this week. I think they're going to look to... They've had a nice little layoff. They've had that change of scenery over in Adelaide where it would have started to just get that little bit tired over in Melbourne, stuck in the same hotel room, same four walls. Whereas Adelaide, I saw the guys that went out to the Adelaide 36ers game on, on the weekend and saw a bit of basketball. Getting out and just keeping themselves busy, which I think is going to be pretty good. It's a mental game as much as anything, yep. I think, especially as we... We'll come on to it as well, I'm sure, maybe in the in the news when we get to it. But obviously with the circumstances surrounding the borders and when Glory may be playing home games next, that's obviously going to take a mental toll as well because players are probably unsure as to whether they're going to be able to spend Christmas with loved ones and so on and so forth. So that's another thing that's obviously milling around in the background. Um well, but just, I believe, just on I that, believe we, further news will come tomorrow regarding the Correct. Fixture. Yeah, Wednesday is what we're likely to hear as far as any updates. Um, just a quick one. Um, yeah, so nothing is likely to happen before the end of January as far as home fixtures go. Um, that's been confirmed mm. by Tony Pinata. So how it's looking going forward and the, the logistical situation, uh, we'll hopefully know more tomorrow. So I, I had a little look ahead, and obviously this is all subject to change, of course, but the Brisbane game is the next men's game that the Glory are going to be playing, and that's in round 14 or 15 of the competition. Now, given Glory have played one game at home by the time that comes around, oh, obviously COVID pending, are Glory going to play 13 home games in a row or 12 home well, games in a row? The the likely scenario is that Perth will play every single away game. There, there may be some... Sco- and then I'm, every single home game. I'm not sure if there's, on the two weekends prior to the 18th, whether there's scope to switch a game perhaps and pull a home game forward or, or do a swap with one of the teams in January where they are projected. We're speculating because we'll find out tomorrow. Mm. But it's going to be really interesting. Um, I mean, 
that that lot of home games will be very interesting with the local season starting again, obviously, whether the appetite will be there. And that's why it's so important that Glory continue to bank these points on the road and get the occasional win because if they can be fourth, fifth or sixth or even just on the cusp of finals coming into those home games, it's going to get some real momentum into the back half of the season for mine. What they don't want to do is just come out on the wrong side of these 1-0 defeats as they have done against City and Western United, mm. find themselves 8th, ninth, or or 10th, and then you're suddenly trying to invite that crowd back in for that big stretch of home games. It's going to be very interesting to see how that all pans out, and we'll find out tomorrow. Oh, on the other side of the coin, though, you've got these Melbourne sides that have hardly left Victoria too, so mm. they've got a stretch coming up where it's going to be quite tricky for them. You'd think, I haven't had a look at properly the dates and times and everything like that, but they're going to have to play a fair few away fixtures. So this is all going to have to come into play and it might have a full turn. So as I I agree with you, it's all about banking as many points as they can now, getting those spirits up, keeping that momentum. Mm. So by the time they do come home, everyone's happy, everyone's healthy. There's points in the bank and they can kick on towards a a big uh, big crescendo towards the end of the season. Uh, Mate, let's have a bit of a talk about the Women's A-League. Similar similar scenario, there was a match this week, um, likely to go ahead. It is not... Canberra, it was meant to be. Uh, it was be. supposed to be Canberra uh, at home. Um, I'm surprised we hadn't heard about this just a little bit earlier because, uh, let's be honest, this wasn't likely to ever go ahead considering it's an ACT side versus a, a WA side in Perth. So um, just a little bit of info there. Let's go back to last Friday night, though. Um, not a great performance. We've, we've, I think we need to say that, but it was the late show. Alana Chenchevsky. Um, she's impressing. Uh, I, I like the way she goes about things. I like the way she has a crack, but I also like her intelligence for an 18-year-old player where uh, at that age you can get caught up. You can be very much go, go, go. You can be let's move the ball forward at any kind of cost. No, let's start looking at the at the corner flag, she says. So it was just really intelligence a few times. Let's have a bit of a look. There was some real mm. poise and some real intelligence to her play, and she was rewarded 86th minute winner, uh, albeit a big deflection, and Perth walk away uh, two from two. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about it before with the men's. It's no different for the women. It's all about banking points. And the fact that Gloria have got six points on the board after two games, particularly uh, even if they have been somewhat fortuitous in the way that the games have sort of panned out, the mood's obviously high now. Confidence is up. No one sort of expected them to do much this season, given the circumstances of last year. And and maybe people still are going to be sleeping on the Glory women's team a little bit, given the fortuitous nature of the two wins. So, look, they've had a little bit of luck. You've got to be good enough when you're in football, but you've also got to be lucky enough sometimes. You've got to get the break of the ball. You've got to get the break of the deflections. And the glory have been on the right end of those in the first two weeks. But I think there's a bigger picture here. I think Alex is building something pretty good there. You can see that he's got an identity with the way that he wants to play the game. And it's still obviously building towards its peak and towards how I'm sure he wants it to look. But there's enough good pieces and good parts of what we've seen in the early part of the season to really like what he's doing. And um, as you said before with, with Janczewski, she's obviously... she. Ironically, she was the player that was dropped for the inclusion of Mia Lethians at the weekend in the starting lineup, and and that was a little bit of a surprise to me when I saw that on the team sheet. But I think that just goes to show her character, Blaine. She's mm. a young player. She's come off the bench. She's wanted to make that impact on the field, and she's gone and done that, although with a nice strike, nice technique, big deflection, but you take it, you know. you got to be lucky enough, as I said before, and... 
it shaped up as a real, really good start for Alex Apakis. Yep. Hey, you've got to have a, uh, a ticket to win the raffle, mate. And she certainly did. She bought one full on and uh, she, yep, she got a bit of luck. Just with uh, the banking of the points, super important. And I did the same exercise with the women's as I did with the men's before. So Melbourne City on February 11 is projected to be Glory's next home game pending any changes re- regarding relating to the state border on February 5. Now that leaves three league games after that home game. Uh, some of them are away, so you'd assume they would become home matches. And maybe a midweek round will be need to be played with the final league match scheduled for March 6 against Wellington. So you'd suspect the Glory are going to end up with four home games, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they chop all those fixtures into the back end of the campaign and and, and whether they are going to miss some games in the build-up to Christmas and New Year. But as Alex said, there's a couple of players. Lisa Devan has obviously had come off with, with some injuries in the first couple of games and... Um, it might just be a good little period for them to take stock. They've got six points on the board. They've started the season really well. They can look and learn, maybe work on some things, and then go again and really hit it in the back end at the second half of the the women's campaign. Yeah, good piece. If you want to go and have a look, jump on the uh, Perth Glory website because there's a good piece there with Alex and his feelings around it. He says uh, it's a mixed blessing. He says, uh, although we're on a fantastic run with really good momentum, and I know the players and staff just want to be playing week in, week out. We've picked up a few niggles in the last two matches, and it gives us a bit of time to overcome those and iron out any kinks in what we're doing. So very, very similar theme to, to what you're saying at the moment, Tommy, which is very, very good. Um, do we need to be careful and does this side need to be careful that it's not Lisa Devanna or Bustwin going forward because I found that at times it was a little bit rushed particularly early on it's that long ball over the top wanting Lisa to run onto it and I thought we could have just been a little bit more creative at times and just a little bit more pragmatic um, using a little bit of more width I've, I've noticed that there's not much width in that side especially when going forward um, yeah. it could have been a little bit easier if that you know those areas were used I think as far as uh, Perth glory I think what I think what Lisa adds is that intensity we've spoke I think we spoke about it at the game at Macedonia Park Lane when she went the others followed in her stride. And, and that's something that she's done really well, which is exciting, and it, and it should get the rest of the team going. Um, obviously, Gemma Crane's a, a really good ball carrier. She's, she's a player that can get the ball. She can get it on the half turn. She can feed the wider players. Now, like you said, those wide players maybe haven't quite found their niche just yet. I think they've tried... Janchevsky out there at times. Sakalis looks like a Sophia Sakalis. She had a good game. Little player, yeah. She's not. She's got nice feet. She's got a little bit of a trick by the looks of things. Maybe she'll grow into that role out Uh, wide. Deborah Della Harp's another one that can play out on that left side. And I think the interesting watch for me in the over the next couple of weeks will be Hannah Lowry as well because she's a super gifted player, but I'm not sure she's quite found her role properly yet in this team. I thought she was a, a bit better in the game last week, but I think in the game at Macedonia Park, she wasn't quite in the game as much as we Do you feel like Hannah's just got a little bit of um, development to go as far as her physical development? She seems a little bit knocked off the ball at times a little bit too easy. Just Does she need to just, I guess, um, hit the weights a little bit and just, I guess, get that core strength happening a little bit more? I don't know about that. I think it's just about finding the position that she can thrive best sure. in. She's got all of the hallmarks of a really gifted player. She's still obviously very young. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we maybe are 
sort of put out. I don't want to put too much pressure on her. She's obviously no. a really good player. She's still young. She's got a lot to learn in the game, but she's super talented and the glory um, can definitely use her um, ability whether they want to try her out wide, whether they want... I think they, they played her a little bit deeper in midfield in round one. Maybe they'd want to maybe think about using her as a second number 10 to play with Gemma Crane behind Lisa up mm. front. There's, these are all options that Alex is going to have, and I'm sure he's he's going to try and find keep trying to find that right formula. But on the face of it, two wins... We're certainly not complaining. Yeah, happy days. We'll go through the rest of the teams very, very shortly. All the uh, other men's um, fixtures and, and results, as well as the women's. For now, we're just going to take a quick a break. We'll be back soon. This is the Far Post Perth Weekly Wrap. If you're as passionate about the A-League as we are, you won't want to miss a second of this season's action. And the easiest, quickest and best way to catch every game from every angle is with the A-League Live app. Simply search A-League Live or Sportsmate in the Apple or Google Play stores. Yeah, second half of the Far Post Perth, the weekly wrap. Blaine Treadgold with you. Tommy Dolman next to me. Great to have you on board. Don't forget also, if you want to get the weekly wrap, I guess delivered, should I say, onto your smart device, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, and of course, Google Podcasts. Let's go through the rest of the rounds. We'll start with the men's competition. It's always, uh, was very, very good. And we've been talking about the box office jets. Tommy, the box office jets, they hit the big time. Four against Wellington. Mikkel Tadze, a guy who you've been banging on about for a little while. He scored two. Uh, Dylan Manane scored one. And Pena, uh, brilliant. These guys were good at the moment. I've been drinking the Newcastle Jets Kool-Aid for a few weeks now, Blaine, and I think I'm drunk on it. I was drunk on it on uh, after watching that performance. Ah, uh, look, I, I think we've touched on it before. I just love their, their style of play. I, I love that they like to take risks. I love the adventure. And clearly a lot of coaching's gone into that. They like to get move the ball, and they move the ball quickly as well. So often in the A-League we see... Maybe some conservative passing, not not as many risks being taken as possible. But with the Jets, they really just like to get the ball moving quickly. And if they turn over the ball, then that's great. They'll try and really hassle and harangue through the likes of Thurgate and O'Doherty on the weekend to try and sort of win the ball back. And and that's what I, I really like. Um, Elsie and Yerman, obviously two sort of campaigners, no real sort of flash names, I suppose. But they've provided a bit of a base at the back for the Jets as well. Um, I know we are sort of getting a bit carried away because they are still one win, one draw, sorry, mm. two draws and a loss. So it's a little bit early to get too carried away. But I think it's just the style of play that, that's got us really excited. And I think you touched on it before as well with Mikkel Tadzi, Pena, Bumal as well. Yep. It really helps when your import players hit the ground running. And we've seen with Central Coast, they've had Maresh. We've seen a couple of other players who haven't quite, uh, clubs who haven't quite got their import players up and running properly yet. For the Jets to get theirs going really early in the season is really encouraging for them going forward, I think. And if they've got us up and about, mate, imagine what the Newcastle fans that might have Mm. just kind of walked away for a period and saying, they'd be jumping on board at the moment. Some great scenes over there at, um, at Newcastle as well across the weekend. They got out, they celebrated with the fans. It's just really good to see. Big 
football town, huge history. Mm-hmm. They need to be strong for the A-League to be strong. It's one of those regions that there's no one else around. There's one football team that plays over the summer, and yeah. the Newcastle Jets have to be it. They have to be box office for that whole region, that whole Hunter region. And, and it's great, and that's what these teams like the Mariners and the Jets should be doing. They should be they should be playing an, an attacking brand of football. Yeah. We don't want to see the, these Heartlands playing a conservative brand and almost just trying to survive and, and, and all that. We want to see them sort of really um, taking risks and, and trying to play that good brand. So that's really encouraging. The only word of caution I'd say is I did have a little look back. They've played the Mariners, Phoenix, Wanderers and Sydney. The latter two have struggled in particular. So we yet to see them against a big hitter, but they have got MacArthur this weekend who are leading the league and who have only conceded... They've conceded one goal this season, and that was a Gary Hooper penalty in one in round one, MacArthur. So that's going to be a real test for them to see whether they are, I don't want to say the real deal. Um, that'll be an interesting challenge, but obviously with the news that's come out today, it's still obviously to be t- determined as to whether the game's going to go ahead, given that there was a Jets player who did have a, co- a positive uh, COVID test a little bit earlier today. Yeah, that's right. A little bit unknown. I've just been really impressed with Pappas, and he was one who I did say at the very, very beginning. I'm interested to see what he's going to do with that side. But you talk about the guys at the back there in in Yerman and the likes, but, I mean, Angus Thurgate. Mm. I've told you before, I've never really rated him. Now I've started to look out for him because he can actually play when there's some decent players around him. He's doing very, very well. Do you also think as well with the way that the Jets are playing, a little bit like what I said before in terms of playing, like taking more risks, but that's okay, take risks and then win the ball back really quickly. Does maybe Arthur Pappas giving him that coaching and saying, right, your job's to go and win the ball back. That, that, that Giving him that defined role has possibly mm. given him that energy and that's maybe why we're seeing such great performances. Tino Yule's been brilliant as well. Uh, not getting on the score sheet, but still playing a hell of a, a role in that side and that focal point. Uh, Wellington, where are they at at the moment for you? They seem... Uh, we talked about this. So we weren't sure how they were going to go. I think they started off okay. I think yeah. we might see start to see them kind of just dip away now. I think they're kind of in the Mariners category for me. I think we're going to see some good performances some weeks, some highs and some lows. Sure. Um, big game for them this week. They're against Sydney. Um, so that will be a bit of a, a slog, I think, perhaps, to see who can sort of ignite their season. Um, look, they were really unlucky against the Wanderers last week, as we spoke about on the pod. So uh, I'm, I, I'm not sure they're going to be playing in the top six games come the end of the season. But Wellington do have a decent run of games coming up. After Sydney, they've got the Mariners, Adelaide, and then Brisbane. So if we're going to see a response from the Phoenix, I think it is going to come in the next month, and I think we'll know a little bit more about their prospects going forward after that. And you you suggest it would probably be the same for Sydney, who's going to be looking to bounce back Mm. because they won't want to continue this run. Um, Let's have a bit of a talk about uh, Western United and Brisbane. 1-0 across the weekend. Connor Payne getting that goal. Just probably a quick one for me because I don't recall uh, much of this match. But Western United just flying under the radar a bit for me. More of the same, really, isn't it? Tight Western United games. In fact, there's just been four goals in their four games that they've um, played in in this campaign. They're up to joint second, three wins and a loss. So like you say, going under the radar nicely. Um, We touched on Brisbane a little bit before, so we'll focus on... Western United here. The win was certainly deserved. And 
Look, I spoke about John Aloisi earlier in the season. I think he did a bit of an underrated job at Brisbane. He, he got them to two fourth place finishes. Oh, he copped it, some stick. It fell off. It fell off a little bit at the end, but I think he copped a bit of stick unfairly given the body of work that he sort of put in. Obviously, we're not as close to Brisbane as the Brisbane fans, so we have to take them at their word as well. But look, on the basis of his start so far, it's not been anything spectacular. But um, we, I think I brought this up in round one. A lot of the teams are still muddling a little bit. We speak about Perth with their away run, Adelaide, Sydney, the Wanderers, all still trying to sort of find themselves a little bit. And if you can bank the points early in the season while these teams are finding their feet, it's going to be massive for your season going forward. And and John Aloisi and and Western United have certainly done that. I mean... um, They've got Adelaide this week, and they'll probably start favourite in that too. And it wouldn't surprise me if they won that game by a goal to nil either with a strike in the second half. Mm, sitting third on the table. Um, is that Where is that game? Is that... Uh... Uh, it's at Amy Park, uh, so back-to-back matches, given that the derby will be there on Saturday night. So it's a double header at oh, Amy no, Park. Sorry, Western United's Friday, and then, oh, okay. and then it's being played on the same pitch on Saturday night, the derby. Sure. Let's have a talk about Adelaide. Uh, they did go head-to-head with a Melbourne victory, the original right Rivalry, as they like to call it. I don't know about that, but hey, these two don't like each other. We know that much. Um, fantastic away support victory. Yeah. It just shows what we've been missing through COVID times when we do get this. Hey, Tommy, why? And I'm not sure if you could answer this, but it amazes me when we live so far away. And then we look at some of these sides, like um, obviously the three Melbourne teams, and then you've got the the uh, the what do we got five in New South Wales these days that simply just don't travel like there's so many people that just won't go an hour up the road yeah I mean it's it- I don't get it because uh, if it had to be if if we had to go up to down to Mandra or up to Joondalup, I reckon there'd be a wicked portion of Perth fans that would go I mean, we. Uh, you, you're right to mention the caveat of COVID times at the moment. Um, so, but this is prior to COVID. Serious, but yeah, COVID. Look, it away support definitely adds to the occasion. Um, it is a bit of a, uh, unfortunately, with the way that Australia spread out, flying to grounds across the country isn't always as easy. Although there are some great supporter groups. I know the, the Victoria supporters group in, uh, oh, in Victoria. Yeah, the glory, yeah, sorry, yeah. the glory supporters the group Vag in Victoria. They, yeah. they they do a great job in getting out and supporting the Glory Boys when they're when they're playing their various games in Melbourne. So, um, but but to see a, a pretty striking number of people at that Adelaide game at Cooper Stadium and in that stadium as well, where there was a, 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 it was a boutique stadium and you could you could feel the noise coming through yep. the television. We we're not playing at this bowl of an arena where the noise can sort of get lost in in the air a little bit the atmosphere was right there in that arena and it made for a it made for a pretty good game I mean you always sense victory would bounce back after that defeat to Perth and they did that in style and look they're up to second three and one for the season like Western United um but I'm a little bit more worried about Adelaide having been glass half full earlier in the season I've they, they drew their first three games. I was just waiting to hold a little bit. I did see a few worrying signs. I don't know what you feel, Blaine, after that game on Saturday. I thought they'd have switched off at times at the back, um, but I also thought they're a, a little bit impotent in that final third as well. Um, mm. There's no real 
strike options for me. It's Cassini, Yangi, or Muhammad Torre, or Bust for me. We spoke about their young players at the start of the season. We saw a few, a couple of them at Floriot. Floriot. But they're just not quite... uh, That's not quite transpired to the league games yet, I don't feel. And I also feel that Isaias has maybe not the same player either that he was when he came back. He's he's, getting long in the tooth. And I'm one... It would be a gutsy call to make, but they're currently playing Josh Cavallo at left back. And I'm wondering whether you could bring Cavallo into that midfield to play alongside Dorigo and Mork. It would be a massive call to drop Isaias, but I just wonder whether that would give Adelaide United that little bit more of zest in midfield going forward that, and, and possibly that drive as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one because Cavallo's been good. He, but he's playing at left back, and I, I would argue that he's better further forward. You, he's a really good passer of the ball. You want him in areas where he's going to be dangerous. I'm not saying he's not being good at left back, but I think he's even better as an outlet further up the pitch, albeit now you're going to have Craig Goodwin at the left of midfield. So you're not going to be able to pay Cavallo on the wing, I don't think, unless you drop Goodwin. So I think moving him centrally into the centre of a park as a left-sided central midfield would probably work. Well, you've got to get to that point too, that when the SAS goes, you need a bit of a succession plan as well. So Mm. it's not a bad shout to be able to try and maybe exchange him in that role, you know, as soon as the size goes off at 60, 70 minutes, then yeah. push Cavallo into that spot and bring on a kid to go and play fullback. I just think the Adelaide strength, we, we spoke, again, the young players that we've, we've spoken about before, I think they're really exciting. And I think the best way to get uh, the best way to get the best out of them is to have energy around them, to have players moving, to have players pulling um, defenders out and to create the space for them to make runs forward and, and to make runs into the channels. So that's something maybe to take a look at. Um, but they've got to get a win soon. That You need to you yeah. need to sort of get, especially with young players, you've got to get a win on the board. It just gives you that bit of a confidence. They obviously drew that game in Brisbane. That was one which went begging at the end. Toughish run away in Perth, two Melbourne teams, humid Brisbane day. Um but they are going to have to win a game soon, and it's going to be hard for them against Western United this week, I feel. Uh, just a few more things on this for me, just a few observations. Jason Davidson going off at the ref like he was at like a two-bob watch. That wasn't great viewing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the MRP doesn't have a look at that because there was no need for it. It was a clear yellow card. He went off like a two-bob watch. Second week swearing. in Roblane. Yeah. Yeah. After the after uh, who was the Adelaide player last week? Who who was it? Javi Lopez. Uh, Javi Lopez. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that, this is what happens when you don't crap, uh, crank down on it. Yeah, as as it should have been done in that. Well, LA. I actually had a Twitter exchange because I actually thought that Javi Lopez was given a second yellow for going off at the ref. He wasn't. He was given one at 45 and one at 95. So the 95 one was for the tackle. He wasn't given a straight one, even though it looks like Chris Beath goes straight for the red because you hardly check. he hardly looks to be checking the book to see uh, I, if I, there was a booking in there. But I, I don't care if it's a bookable offence or not. It's a bad look. Yeah. And you see and you see him get away with that in the Adelaide game, and then what happens the following week? Davidson does that. Yeah. Is, somebody, is, is somebody else going to carry on next week? It's just a bad look. It needs to be stamped out the game. We need to treat the referee with more respect because they've got one of the hardest jobs in football and yeah I 
I just think they've got a cra- uh, really cranked down on it now. Yeah, it wasn't a great look for me. Um, Ivan Kelliver, I'm not convinced about him. He flaps in the breeze. He's too busy playing to the crowd than what he needs to be for me. We saw it against Perth. We again saw it. Not that he had much to do against Adelaide because their their final shots just didn't really have much on him, except for maybe one from Mohamed Torre, which was straight at the breadbasket. But it just doesn't convince me at the moment. Uh, we're running short of time, Tommy, but we'll get through this one. Um, Western Sydney... Nil, MacArthur, two. Now, Carl Robinson's got to be in trouble here, surely. Knocked out of the cup. A.P. Leichhardt didn't take that seriously. Came back to bite him square on the backside. And now he gets sent uh, in a probably what would be their local derby, Uzcock and Holman, on the score sheet. It's not looking great for him. I sent you a screenshot, didn't I, earlier in the week about how they were the, you did. They're taking the cup seriously and yep. then the 11 changes. And, and that sort of messaging doesn't really help. And... Yeah, the booze came from the Wanderers fans on Saturday as well, which is often never a good sign. Um, they had 66% of the ball, the Wanderers, which shocked me, but they were very ponderous. 19 shots to nine. It was just all very ponderous. They didn't move it around with any intensity, any zest. A lot of the efforts were long-range shots from Petratus. And I, I just... Uh, I, I thought MacArthur were just very comfortable because the Wanderers were moving the ball so slowly and they just weren't penetrating with it at all that MacArthur were happy to say, fine, you have you have the ball because we know you're not going to do any damage there's to no, us. There's no X factor in that side at all. Well, that, there is. They've got really good players in that team. They've got Petrados, they've got but Tracy, no but they've just not no one's put stepping it together. Up. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the, the Antonis and um, uh, Yugarkovic midfield two is just not working. No. Rodwell showed glimpses, but he's not going to be rely- reliable for 90 minutes a match every game of the season. It's a good squad, Blaine. Um, look, well, I'm not- I had Tom Ahmed as my leading goal scorer, golden yeah. boot, mate, and he's not going to go anywhere near it the way and, we're and going. I'm, and I'm not sure Bernie Abini is, as nah. a, as a center f- nah. central option is not the best way forward either. Look, I, I'm... I don't like talking about people losing their jobs because it's a very hard job coaching in the other. There's only a certain amount of jobs mm. in the competition. Um, but the eye test says that the identity isn't there. It's not as obvious as what we're seeing with the Jets and other teams who we can see are trying to do something. Um, even like City with their passing game, they're trying to implement. Popovich obviously has his wing-back system that mm. he likes. There's an identity there, and I'm not seeing that with the Wanderers despite the talent they've got on their team. And... They're at the Mariners this week. Now, that's a game where, for me, the talent on paper, we know the games aren't played on paper, Blaine, but they should be winning that game, even though we know it's not played on the team sheet as such. But you watch the noise lift if they don't win that game. Um, And that's going to be the talking point, I think, going into next week. Um if the Wanderers don't win that game against the Mariners, what's it going to sound like? Just some quick thoughts on MacArthur, Blaine, because they are top of the league, let's not forget. Yeah. What are your thoughts on them four games in? We spoke about how they've kept three. They've only conceded one goal from open play. They're just going about their business, I think. Nothing really stands out for me with MacArthur. Not that I've seen MacArthur through a magnifying glass too, too often this year so far. But they're same old, same old, same names on the score sheet, essentially. You, 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 um, uh, Lockie Rose, and I don't know. It's just a, it's a Milicic side, really. Yeah, we saw a little bit of that with though the Matildas were playing a little bit. It was more reactive, yep. I suppose. Yeah. Um, quirk in the fixture as well. 
a little bit like the Jets, MacArthur have also played the Mariners, Phoenix, Wanderers and Sydney, the exact same four teams. So we are praising the Jets very heavily for their brand of football, even though they're fifth or sixth and they've only won one of those four games. For MacArthur to be three and one and unbeaten at the top of the league, we have to really heap praise on them. And I know that we've spoken as well about... Oh, but you can play good. You can play an entertaining style of football and not win. We're Leeds fans. We, I'd like to think that we play entertaining style of football, but we don't always get the results. Well, we haven't. We've got bugger all results this year, if we're purely honest, but we can still play an entertaining brand of football. Yeah, I just find it interesting that the that you look at uh, MacArthur and you look at Western United, and, and they're the teams who are... I think first and third in the mm. league, and they're very much grinding out results in the early part of the campaign. And we've spoken about these expansion sides in the past, play, and there's obviously some external noise about them, which we won't get into on this pod because we'll go for another hour if we do. But if you're getting the results and you're grinding out the wins and you're at the top of the league, it just hushes that noise in the background a little bit, mm. rightly or wrongly. Let's move on to Central Coast, which we did just talk about, but let's talk about Sydney as well. Is Corica under pressure? Or are we just starting to see the end of that kind of rain? I think all good things come to an end. I think Sydney have been such a strong team for a number of years. Yeah. And, I mean, how do I sort of word it? Someone like Aninkovic isn't quite having as much influence as he previously had on games. And that Bobo and Lafondra partnership, whilst good on paper, isn't quite working the same way either. You've got Bratton gone. You've got Ryan Grant out. Well. Yeah, and and Burgess was in that team and they it just still didn't quite click. I don't know. Look, it's it's a tough one. I think it's too early to write them off still. Um, a little bit like what we were saying with City. The talent's there. The pieces are there to make it work. Redmayne, uh, Wilkinson at the back as well. Like These are all guys who have been around the traps and know the league. I think it's personally too early to ride off Sydney FC. I can't really put a finger on it, to be honest, other than that maybe they just need to freshen up the team a little mm. bit with some younger players. Uh, and that might take a little bit of time. That might take a little bit of a, a transition as well. So interesting to see which direction they're going to go. Right. Yeah, no, okay. Um, <laughs> um, Central Coast, I've been really impressed with Jacob Farrell. Mm-hmm. He just seems a clever young player. He gets stuck in. I was watching him play and he kind of just... Just dropped into where he needed to be. He was tracking superbly. He's got a clever mind. He knows his positioning. Just gets stuck in. Mm. There's almost a little bit of that correlation, like you can see that he's a Central Coast hometown boy and it means a lot to him. Yep. And that's and that's the beauty of homegrown players. You know yep. what you're gonna get from them. They're gonna they're gonna play for their fans. And they're gonna play for their families. They're gonna play for the, it's just that's the benefits of investing money into a youth system and that's possibly what some of these we spoke about the uh the funds a little bit earlier that have that have come the breaking news i don't mm. know if we've uh, we'll get into that in a second um maybe teams should be investing in their youth policies and their youth systems and their uh, facilities because what the central coast have done and bringing in those players um it certainly makes life a bit easy and, and i think the other thing we're with- seeing we're seeing it with perth too if i'm purely honest and we've got yeah. these kind of kids looking up to your Brandon O'Neills, who went through the same kind of pathway, so yeah. it's tried, it's tried and tested. So you got these kids believing in them, but then all you, all you need is the club and the fans to believe in these kids. And I think with the Mariners, we're going to get some real highs this season, but we're also going to get a few lows. I think there are going to be a couple of games where they are going to get belted mm. just because they yep. are a young side. But 
with Nick Montgomery, he's prog- they're incrementally progressing. You can see that they're on a path, and that's, I think, something that if you're a Mariners fan, you're going to be happy to see them steadily di- steadily sort of developing, and they are moving in the right direction, and that's, that's something that I think you can hold your hat on going forward if you're a Central Coast fan. And they are going to cause teams problems this season. They're not going to be a pushover for anyone, as we saw at the weekend. Hey, Tommy, yes or no answer? Joint press conferences. No. No. No, I'm no. no. I mean... My, my conferences. Personal... I think conferences. I did say conferences. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a big no for me. I mean, it's hard enough getting information, um, honesty, and and anything sort of interesting with one person in the room at the best of times. You're just let, censored, surely. Let alone having another guy beside you, like who, WWE, who you don't want to upset. I mean, yeah, exactly right. I mean, if 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 you say that we deserve to win the game and there's an eyebrow raised from the coach next to you, that could make some interesting TV, but. I mean, there's a bit of a feeling as things are with fans that press conferences are kind of reductive and they're sanitised. And I know that we need them in the media for sound bites, and they do go out to broadcasters and it does sort of serve that interest in in promoting. But I think there's a real scope that once we come out of these COVID times to maybe do a bit more of a mix zone thing. I remember in the Euros and in the World Cup, Gareth Southgate almost invited the media to come and everybody was in the room and you can just have 45 minutes to an hour of just walk around, pick who you want, interview different people, different stories, nah, personalities. I've got to admit, I like the coach. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, if you if you want to go and do that other stuff, you can organise that through media managers and the like. But I, I, I do like the traditional style because... Yeah. I mean, you can get the coach in that area as well. But I just think there's a way to make the chats a little bit more relaxed because I think... I'm not saying that we should go down the route of that American sort of locker room vibe, which it was nah, pre-COVID, where everyone yeah. can go in and sort of chat. But I just think there's... Look, at the end of the day, they were trying something different. I think that's a way that they can try and try something different that maybe may engage a few more people who want to hear different stories from different people and not hear the same voices um, every time. And you can also build relationships with people. And at the end of the day, Blaine, you know as well as I do in this game, mm. if you build relationships with people, you're going to get more information out of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's true. Um, what else were we going to look at before? Actually, let's talk about this, um, I guess, this um, bit of news that came through today. Uh Tommy, what do we what do we know about this? Uh, obviously, it's it's come out that there will be a cash injection into the A League. It is uh, due to selling off thirty three percent of the of the A League competitions to a company, a private investment firm called Silver Lake. They're an American company. What else do we know? Um, not a lot at this stage. I don't think. I think it's still. It's certainly something that caught a lot of people by surprise, I think. I don't, I don't think we expected to wake up and hear about this today, and I must admit I'm not 100% certain on the full details of it, but obviously any any cash injection is welcome into the local game here so long as there is an appropriate directive in which to use it. I mean, I don't think going down the Robbie Slater idea of spending all of that money That's on marquees and players for a sugar hit is the best way to go about it. But I think that using it to implement things that are sustainable for the game long-term, such as the national second division, which is also, which is a belief part of that's going to be um, on the agenda, youth facilities, building up clubs so that they have assets and things that they can actually move forward into the future with. 
So there's a few different angles that this has come on. Uh, the ABC, they've just gone purely on this cash injection. It will be worth, uh, what are we at, approximately $130 million Australian. There's the uh, little uh, sound effect as far as that goes. So it's huge, $130 million, nothing to sneeze at. Um, However, it's been said that it will a lot of it will go into the um, digital media platforms and the like and, and real fan engagement kind of stuff. That's the way that I read that through the ABC. However, Don Bossy at the Sydney Morning Herald has uh, since come out uh, a little bit later on this afternoon and said that a national second division could be played as early as 2023 with Football Australia set to invest in the establishment of a a professional football competition to sit below the A-League. This is the most encouraging thing out of this for me. I think so, yeah. I think think we've actually got some... Something clear cut, although we've not obviously that's that's um, news from an article. Um, sure, but but it, it looks as though based on that information from that article that there is at least a pathway towards that being implemented, which is what I think we all want as as enjoyers of the game here. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It it has to come. It has to come. And there's all this uh, just to finish up, and we won't get la- uh, go on for too long because we've been banging on for almost an hour now. But this whataboutisms that always come up when you hear about, oh, what if Sydney FC gets relegated? That was the latest one today. What if Sydney FC gets relegated? Well, if Sydney FC get relegated, so be it. Be better. Mm. Be smarter. Be wiser. Yeah, no one should be immune to. No one should be immune to. If you want to be part of the free market that is a promotion and relegation, you've got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, 100%. You're going to have some poor years. You're going to be down... Some clubs will suit being in the second division because at the moment they're, uh, what what they can raise in capital isn't anywhere near what they need to be competitive to be in the top flight. Simple as that. I, I think I think the the I I do agree with you. I think the interesting thing with the second division is the format of which it's going to take, which is a completely different podcast and probably one we need to do in a special format, Blaine. But is it going to be a conference system? Is it going to be a straight? All up, an all up league system. Is it going to be two two home and away? Is it going to be just one game? Mm. Is how many teams from Victoria? How many teams from WA? How many teams from Sydney? A lot of questions to answer. We don't have the time to do them today. No, but that don't. for me is going to be the interesting thing. Of is is how is this second division going to take form? Not necessarily should we have it. Etc. Etc. Absolutely. Uh, that's where we're going to wrap it up, Tommy. Really appreciate you jumping on board with us again on this Tuesday. Don't forget the big news from us. Check out the farpostperth.com.au. Uh, that is farpostperth.com.au. No the in front of that. So check it all out. There'll be some articles and we will get all that up and running. And hopefully it's going to be top notch over the next few weeks, but it will launch today. So Make sure you check us out all over the social media. Check out the A-League Live app. All thanks to Sportsmate. And you can always keep in touch via the Far Post Perth on Facebook and Twitter. Also, Tommy Dolman, you can check him out on Twitter. He's a funny man. He likes to get stuck into a fair few things, don't you, Tommy? I try and stay well-behaved on that platform, Blaine. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. We'll catch you next Tuesday for another edition of the Weekly Wrap, all presented by the Far Post Perth podcast.